Welcome to another episode of Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, as always, Greg Bryan, and my guest today is Stan Hubbard, who is Principal Analyst at MEF. And of course, this MEF is the formerly known as Metro Ethernet Forum, not the Mobile Ecosystem Forum, since we've had both of them on the show a few times. So uh, we have, as I said, had MEF on the show several times before, and and they come up more often than that, um, in no small part due to the fact that I think the work they do there aligns very well with many of the things we focus on here at Telegeography. In particular, we've talked a lot on this show about the emergence of network as a service, NAS, and carrier automation in general. So Stan recently authored a report at MEF on the state of the industry for automating business functions between service providers, and I wanted to have him on the show to discuss his findings and see where the telecom industry is at with adopting these new technologies. Stan first explains the drivers in the market and why telecom service providers need to automate just to stay relevant and competitive, and then gets into the path carriers can take to achieve this goal. We then talk a little bit more specifically about his report and get details on the state of adoption of automation in the industry, why customized or proprietary APIs are inefficient, the benefits of standardization, how enterprises are driving automation, and even how blockchain will be crucial to network contracts in the future. So this was a really illuminating conversation for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. Okay, welcome to the show, Stan. Hey, thanks, Greg. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we could finally connect. It, it took us a little while to make this happen, but here we are. It's going, so I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, well, you know, we always start out with with a, a brief intro. I, I, I think I, I first met you uh, back many years ago when, when you were Stan the Ethernet man, but uh, why don't you tell us a bit yeah. about your journey um, uh, to becoming the, the principal analyst at uh, MEF? Yeah, so um, I've worked about 25 years in the industry. I started out with uh, Siena. I spent about seven years there. And then I moved on to light reading, the heavy reading uh, research arm of light reading. Mm -hmm. And I worked there as a senior analyst and chaired uh, their biggest global and regional networking events. And that's where I got the uh, Ethernet uh, or, (laughs) yeah, I guess Etherman doll made. I was Stan the Etherman. I got you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I remember that with a little cape, right? Yes. Yeah. Except my, the cape I have now is all busted up. So I don't fly anymore, but, but any case, in any case, (laughs) I had a great time there. And then I joined MEF about 10 years ago and uh, I'm the principal analyst at MEF now, heavily focused on our strategic initiatives that are related to things like automation, network as a service, SD-WAN, SASE, et cetera. Right. So it's uh, it's been a great role here at MEF. Uh, had a chance to engage with executives from leading service and technology companies around the world. And um, also during my time at MEF, I've had other roles uh, such as the chair of our global networking events mm-hmm. and uh, the director for our internal communications and press and analyst relations. Yeah, that's you know one of the, one of the reasons I, I love talking to you about this kind of stuff. We have we have similar roles. I, I uh, am an analyst who also ran some some conferences and whatnot. So we're we're coming at it from the same angle. That that makes it a lot of fun for me. Definitely. Yeah, so, 
Yeah. So you, you know, the challenge of the conference. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and mine, mine were much smaller than yours too. So I really, I really appreciate uh, what, what you're doing there. Um, you know, Pascal, your, your CTO at MEF has, has been on the show a, a couple of times, I think, and we've certainly brought up MEF a lot. <laughs> I've also had the mobile ecosystem forum on the show. So just to, to allay any confusion that might be out there, could you give us a brief background on, on MEF for anyone who may sure. not have caught those uh, episodes or whatever? Yes, uh, sure. Uh, happy to do that. So MEF is an industry standards organization that we're composed of uh, nearly 200 member companies uh, from around the world. And that includes about 130 service providers, data center players, cloud providers, as well as uh, technology companies. Uh, uh, so the technology uh, test and certification companies and others would make up the, the remainder mm. of that number. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've been focused on really accelerating this industry transformation to dynamic services that uh, ultimately are going to be orchestrated across a global ecosystem of automated networks. And these networks are going to be built with standardized services and standardized APIs. Uh, And those APIs automate at both the business and the operational level. uh, process levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and they, they're automating between, uh, ecosystem partners and the type of service, you know, I, I mentioned dynamic services. One example of a, you know, a dynamic service that's emerging is quite popular is the network as a service. Right. Right. So, exactly. Which is, which is how we're, we're going to sort of, um, color our conversation today. Of course, as, as you sort of alluded to, there's a lot that goes around making, uh, network as a service or NAS happen. But be, before we jump right into that, um, uh, coming up here in, in the start of October um, is your, your global NAS event. I'm going to be there, but why don't you t- tell us a little bit more about that um, if, if folks are interested in, in considering uh, attending, perhaps. Sure. The uh, G&E event is a, a global NAS event. As you mentioned, it'll be held in, in the first part of October in Dallas. And we're bringing together the ecosystem of players, really, that, uh, you know, including enterprises, including service providers and technology vendors, all looking at, um, well, well, basically what we're trying to do is having a co- common definition of NAS to start with, but then evolving uh, networks in the direction of NAS. And what, and I, I think the key thing here is you, you think about NAS today, um, it's, it's about the, um, ability to have those services delivered across an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So you know, NAS services in the past might have been delivered over a single network, but right. what we're talking about is being able to um, deliver NAS services over an automated supply chain. Right. So focusing on that enterprise experience and then having it carry through throughout the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. So so the the, the sort of plug is that if, you, if you're interested in the conversation that Stan and I are about to have, that is that is what uh, there's going to be you know hundreds of such conversations and presentations and panels uh, to that effect Absolutely. at uh, at the at the event. So definitely, yeah. So so uh, I want to dive into it then, and, and um, the the way I'm, I think I might like to start is is just thinking about kind of um, how we find ourselves getting that um, as a service up to the network. And what I mean by that is that you know 
as as consumers, um, uh, we're we're all used to things becoming more as a service. Whether that's uh, you know Netflix going from uh, receiving a disc in the mail to uh, to to watching things on demand. Soft that's the way everyone consumes software now. I, I guess if you're if you're over forty or so, you might remember getting an optical drive in in the mail and and having a little license on it and putting it in your machine and downloading the software. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know no, nobody consumes things that way anymore. We, we often joke at Telegeography that we should um, we should start calling what we do research as a service just to keep up with everybody there you go. else, right? You know? All right, you can charge a lot more. Exactly, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, the upshot is that, um, you know, all of these, especially IT digital things that we consume, we, we've consumed in this way because it's more convenient from, from, from a, a uh, you know, just a practical standpoint, as well as a billing standpoint, all these kinds of things. And of course, we've seen for a long time that 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 had to to get to the network, right? And and but that involves kind of both sides of that. There's the enterprises want to consume network as a service, but on the carrier end, like you alluded to, um, if if that's not just in a sort of cabin situation, like a data center to data center um, uh, situation, for example. That that's really complicated, and, and you, you mentioned there's this entire ecosystem. Um, how do we start to even think about getting that whole ecosystem able to have connectivity be part of this X as a service world? Yeah, great, great question. Um, let let me kind of start with whether you call it network as a service or whether you call it on demand services or dynamic services. You know. Really what we're seeing is, you know, the communications industry as a whole has been moving on this multi-year transformation journey, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, To deliver these dynamic, secure services across that global ecosystem of automated networks. And, you know, the primary reason the industry is moving this direction is enterprises are accelerating digital transformation and cloud migration. Service providers are responding to that. And, and trying to get out ahead of the enterprise requirements. And uh, they're striving to empower those enterprise customers with innovative solutions that are designed to meet a wide range of needs, such as you know connectivity needs, cloud access, application performance, visibility, control, cybersecurity. And that in those needs are being met within these multi-cloud and work from anywhere type environments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so what we have, and, and this is, a process that, you know, really began, um, you know, I would say close to a, a, a decade ago mm. within the community. With like where, SDN and that kind of thing? Uh, well, it, it began with SDN, but I'm thinking about the automation side mm, of things. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. we start, first started having discussions about creating this global ecosystem that would ultimately be based on standards, you know, we started at those conversations with TM Forum and we brought in, uh, you know, uh, as part of those, those discussions, the ITW Global Leaders Forum and so forth. Mm. But r- what we really have is the industry, uh, you know, service providers, technology solution providers, industry organizations, all collaborating now at a stepped up pace to build out that standards-based ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And the goal here is being able to accelerate service delivery across multiple providers, right? Speed time to revenue, provide a cloud-like customer experience, empower the new innovations like network as a service. Right. So first and foremost, that begins with the service providers and the other ecosystem partners 
wanting to provide that cloud-like experience for the enterprise. Right. So that means not only seamlessly delivering dynamic services when and where they want them, but also providing visibility into those services end-to-end regardless of the customer locations, regardless how many networks that the services have to, to transit. Mm-hmm. And, and, and more recently, it also means enabling enterprise software developers, enterprise applications, enterprise systems to directly interact with the service provider networks via standardized APIs. So you'll hear more about things like intent-based APIs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's an area of focus that's emerging within MEF. It came up in conversation at our Montreal meeting uh, recently, and uh, we'll be um, having more um, more work in that area. Um, but what we've done so far is really not not dealing with the the intent based APIs. It's dealing more um, with the automation between service provider buy and sell partners, and also extending that automation out to the enterprise. Uh, but we can get into that here in a minute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, I think it's it's useful here, maybe t- um, for for folks listening to paint maybe a, a sort of clear picture of, you know, as as I, I'm an enterprise, you know, sourcing uh, IT infrastructure manager kind of person, in you know, in in the world that we've lived in for the for the last couple of decades here, I, I call up my my provider or providers, um, I have a protracted negotiation kind of situation where where I let them know through the RFI and whatnot, you know, sort of what what my network needs are geographically, products, uh, bandwidth, all that kind of thing. Then the provider goes and they they source that through their, uh, you know, connections, which is phone calls and emails and whatnot, all right? And we're talking right. about a, a very kind of long process. And what you're talking about is what I know the folks sitting in that enterprise side want is they, hey, I can go and spin up a cloud instance in 30 seconds, right? I right. can, you know, um, uh, so, you know, at, at the risk of getting out of my depth, you know, if I need to do some container, computer, Kubernetes, all those kinds of uh, buzzy word kind of things, I can just go into a portal and do that. And so, so, so what, what you're, um, sort of painting the picture of is is this world that we're trying to get to where I can go to a portal, I can order a network, and it arrives almost instantaneously, right? Right. That's So that's what we talk about when we say first and foremost, focus on the enterprise experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if you think about, you know, the typical um, time it takes to order a service, have it delivered, you know, it's at least 60 to 90 days. Mm-hmm. You hear that that often, Right. And, and that's and after so, the negotiation period and figuring out the RFI. And that's just when you've yeah, made the order. Yeah, that's, right. Yeah, that, that exactly. Um, so, you know, you hear folks like uh, Jack Pugacheski from Lumen, who's heavily involved in MEF. You know, he likes to say, you know, um, really the community is focused on delivering that Netflix-like viewing experience mm-hmm. with an Amazon-like buying experience, right? right? That's where we want to get to as a service provider community, uh, as an ecosystem supporting those enterprise end users. Um, and, and so, you know, if you think about NAS, it's, it's all about, you know, having that service delivered in a more agile way and enabling the enterprise uh, to have a much better uh, customer experience. But, you know, the, the issue that we face right now is, you know, various definitions of NAS, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so we, we've got a challenge as an industry to sort of align on a common vision. So if you, if you, um, you think back uh, over the past couple of years, we, we've seen this, or, uh, you know, if you think about the past couple of years, we've seen this resurgence of 
market interest in activity related to network as a service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As you know, the concept has been around for about a decade or so with some of the early technical standards being done by players like ITUT, right? Right, right, right. So uh, today's there's no common definition of NAS or its major components. And some perspectives are really high level, Mm -hmm, such mm -hmm. as defining network as a service as a model that enables customers to consume networks as a service. Right, not as a technical process, but as a description of of how the the market works, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then others like the TMF and ITUT offer more technical perspectives for building NAS uh, services. And of course, the technology vendors, the industry analyst uh, community, they all have different perspectives on this. Mm -hmm. So in my role at MEF, in in the principal analyst role that I have, I'm working with our CTO, Pascal Manezes, and other members of the team to develop what we call a NAS blueprint that will help service providers create NAS service bundles. Well, first of all, it'll set out, you know, a MEF perspective on what NAS is, and then, you know, We'll, we'll kind of put that in the context of other definitions of NAS that are part of the industry. So you can see kind of where we, we see things uh, fitting together. Right. And, right. and then we'll, um, and then we'll uh, share those components of that uh, NAS uh, definition that we have. So our working view right now is that NAS platforms combined on-demand connectivity, application assurance, cybersecurity, and multi-cloud-based services mm-hmm. across that automated ecosystem, right? Uh, and of course, you know that's designed to help enterprises achieve business outcomes without having to build and maintain their own infrastructure. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a really good point. I think a couple of things that I would put a pin in there is is that you know first, this isn't the the bigger NAS picture isn't just about um, you know spinning up. Uh, bandwidth be- between point A and point B, but rather sort of the the, the whole network ecosystem up to to SASE and 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 SD WAN, uh, which you guys have also worked on clarifying for the market, I should say too. Um, and and then also that as you mentioned there, that um, that this is about for from the enterprise perspective, the the sort of the the business of it, right? That um, I think I, I've mentioned this on the show a, a few times, but I think it's a point worth driving home that that for a very long time the network was a cost that you had to have there to you know sort of a, a enable um, your, your your business to operate, but. It's really the case. Uh, it strikes me that in, in this, uh, you know, NAS kind of world that we're envisioning, the the network and the whole digital transformation process becomes a business driver. It becomes how, you know, f- far outside of just the technology companies, or whatever, but whatever kind of vertical you're in, uh, maybe with some exceptions, um, uh, you you need to think about what. Um, what do I get as as new business opportunities and for and for my right. customers out of the network, which I, I I really think is cool. It puts it puts the WAN in a, in a very different light than oh this is a cost that we have to have there and 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 that's that. But instead, yeah. what can we do with yeah. this that's new and exciting? You know, yeah, absolutely. It's it that's a great way to say it. Um, the way I think of it is the whole entire NAS ecosystem, you know, there has to be collaboration across that ecosystem, Mm -hmm. but ultimately everybody's going to benefit. They're going to benefit by going through the digital transformation um, themselves, right? They're going to be more agile. They're going to be more productive as they go through and automate processes end to end. Um, And and then they're going to be able to deliver a better customer experience. So you think about NAS solutions 
they're going to be elastic. Uh, the services are going to be dynamic and they'll generally have these advanced capabilities, you know, greater user control, real time application driven changes, end to end performance, visibility, pay as you go, monthly subscription options, et cetera. Now, the, the one of the key points that we're emphasizing as we as we talk about NAS is it's going to require the coordination of the Federation of Resources provided by numerous ecosystem partners, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So whether you call it um, NAS or dynamic services, the key point is that you're going to see this shift around the world towards more cloud-like services, and they're going to be delivered across that automated ecosystem, and you have to have standardized APIs, you know, sort of uh, acting like, um, y you know, Lego, you know, think of it as Lego blocks, sort of all these different players connecting together. Mm -hmm. These APIs are the transfer of information between those different players, right? right. It's kind of where the Lego blocks would connect, right? And, and so you have to be able to pass um, information more efficiently in an automated way, you know, business uh, level transactions, uh, operational performance data, and so forth. So that's what we're doing. We're building out that ecosystem, that automated supply chain. And, and you can't really have network as a service unless you have a standardized approach for how you put all that together. Right, right. And that's that's because if, if we take it back to maybe sort of the the, the current world or maybe even, to, uh, you know, a few years ago, let's say I'm an enterprise, I'm, I'm, I'm sourcing my WAN, I go to my maybe one or two sort of large providers and they then have to get for me a bunch of local access loops that, that, that they don't have on net, maybe some broadband circuits, some DIA, whatever it is. Um, now, in order to do that uh, in an automated fashion, they would have had to have built up APIs with all of those different providers. And just for anybody who doesn't have this, this picture in their mind, you know, um, of course, there's, you know, everyone can name these, you know, sort of big WAN services providers, AT&T, Orange, BT, Verizon, well, they have to work with literally thousands and thousands of providers uh, for even a, a fairly modestly sized, uh, you know, multinational network, uh, because no one's wires go absolutely everywhere for any customer, basically, right? right. And so, so in, in that world, uh, um, you know, they're maybe creating a, a set of providers that they have APIs with that they can then offer um, kind of some on-demand services through. Uh, how does that differ from the world that, that you're envisioning with this work uh, with MEF? Yeah, yeah. So great, um, great setup um, here. So if you think about where the industry is, there, you know, there's still a large number of service providers that are uh, doing things in a manual way. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but that's the way it's been. Yeah. Um, just because automating is can be can be very expensive. So so what you have is you have a lot of processes that are still manual with spreadsheets, phone calls, et cetera, right? And that introduces a lot of human error. Mm -hmm. So what you what you've seen, of course, uh, you know, up until fairly recently is a, a significant number of service providers were, you know, the, the ones that had large volumes with each other that could justify an investment um, implemented what what we would call proprietary or customized APIs. They may have started with a TM forum standard, but those standards are um, uh, fairly um, loose and, and generic. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so each time a service provider would implement uh, a particular API with a partner, it becomes customized, uh, proprietary. So they would they could spend 12 to 18 months to implement an API to do something like uh, quote or notary, right? right. Uh, so that 
you know, what we've seen is a, you know, a limited number of service riders have implemented a, you know, limited set of uh, APIs, proprietary APIs, customized APIs with, um, you know, their partners for a limited number of services. Um, and it, it, it requires significant investment. When I say limited number, it may be a large number, mm-hmm. but in, in the whole scheme of things, when you're thinking about thousands of service providers, it, exactly it's exactly my point as, as a percentage, right? There's just, yeah. There, I mean, you know, again, for, for people who don't focus on this area of the telecom world that, that might be listening, you know, there, there are, providers, ISPs or whatever that might operate in, in a couple of metros, you know, in the world. So if, right. if you're sitting there as a, as a global WAN provider, um, you know, th- there are literally, you know, thousands to, to 10,000 providers out there that whose network you may at some point need to utilize basically. You know? Yeah. So, so what we have then is up until recently, we've had all these proprietary APIs, but the point here what we're, that we want to get to is the recognition that proprietary customized APIs simply will not scale if we're if we're trying to build out an ecosystem that will ultimately support right. dynamic right. services, NAS services across that ecosystem, right? Because it takes enormous amount of time and enormous amount of resources to do that uh, investment. And, and so what MEF has introduced is an approach that is leveraging the work of TMF, but we've, we've introduced what we call uh, inner... Um, a tightly defined context, mm. right, um, around those APIs that enable service writers to uh, interoperate and be able to support a large number of services with a large number of partners. So basically make a significant investment one time in those APIs, uh, beginning with the, uh, you know, the business process level. So address validation, POQ, quote, order, uh, inventory, and so forth, right? Um so you automate those business processes between buy and sell partners. And then once the service is up and running, you can then implement operational APIs, which we've also introduced now uh, in our uh, most recent release called the Fergie SDK release. And those operational APIs will be, be able to give you performance data shared between you know, uh, service providers, right? And, and so this is really exciting because because now you have the full life cycle of business processes, op- operational processes, with information being shared across across the ecosystem becoming available. So um, it's exciting to see this uh, this shift. And so what that what that allows us to do as an industry is to be able to you know scale with many service provider partners and and um, and many services, different types of services, right? Right. Not just Ethernet, but Internet access, dark fiber, wavelength services, uh, SASE, SD-WAN, edge compute, and so forth. So, so just to drive that point home, um, you know, there was a service provider that was looking at implementing the, the APIs, the business process APIs from MEF. And he said, you know, look, if I had to continue to do business and, and implement proprietary APIs with my partners, and they had 200 plus partners around the world. Right. He said, I would still be here working on it a hundred years from yeah, now. That's, right? that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not going to work. And that, that was a, um, you know, a large tier two service provider. Mm-hmm. So imagine being, you know, being even larger than that. And you've got maybe 400 plus right. partners around the world. Um, you, you just, it's, it's impossible to scale, um, without 
without a standardized approach. And, and so that's why we're seeing a huge number of companies uh, jump on board uh, the bandwagon um, with the MEF APIs. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It is an area very ripe for a sort of drop-in plug-and-play solution. Um, and and I should say that then then as as you know the, the other providers all around the world hoping to work with each other when, when we go to an ITW conference or whatever, that's that's one of the interesting things about the telecom market is the old sort of co-opetition model, right? Every telecom has to work with each other. Um, you open yourself up, I, I, I take it from, from what you're explaining, to, to doing business with maybe some folks that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to break through with before if you, you have this sort of like, you know, lack of friction uh, of working with you, right? Right, absolutely. So, so we see that within the, um, the I, you mentioned ITW, uh, we see that within the ITW, um, you know, we have really good, fantastic support from what was called the ITW Global Leaders Forum, right? Mm-hmm. So. 32 international service providers around the world are part of that uh, ITW uh, GLF board. And, you know, they they have a focus on uh, these emerging requirements, these connectivity requirements that are on this end-to-end basis, right? They're looking to, to it's basically a wish list for NAS capability. Right. You know, having capacity on demand, real-time inventory, route diverse selection, usage-based pricing, um, QoS guarantees spanning multiple providers, et cetera. Um, and, and, and so they're very supportive of the work that MEF is doing around the business and operational APIs. And in fact, um, uh, half of those uh, service providers as part, part of the GLF are already committed to implementing and, and onboarding and, and an additional uh, number are, are exploring the APIs mm-hmm. um, uh, with the, um, with, with their partners. So, um, you know, that's, that that's one um, huge element of the ecosystem, but another element of the ecosystem is what's happening sort of in those in that middle mile, uh, middle mile mm. uh, player. Yeah, um, you know the uh, the emerging uh, NAS type uh, solution providers. You know those that are you know kind of leveraging the assets of data centers and so forth. Yeah, because if um, if you so said the word NAS, especially maybe like a, a, a year or two ago, maybe a, a lot of folks would have automatically thought of the, the 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 packet fabrics, the megaports of the world, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So you know, no matter where you see it in the ecosystem, I'm sorry, the ecosystem, mm-hmm. you'll want to be able to interface with standardized APIs. Right. Uh, and just to give you an idea, you know, kind of put a little perspective around that. Uh, console connect, uh, you know, y- you know, they've got these, uh, interconnected data centers. They have this on demand environment with between all those data centers, you know, hundreds of data centers. And, and so that obviously is a, is a great platform for NAS. And what they're doing is leveraging the MEF APIs to extend that automation out on, in the edge to right. their access, right. access partners, right. Bring them into the ecosystem. So buy and sell with console connect and leveraging those APIs to have that more automated experience all the way out to the customer site, right? Yeah, interesting yeah. case too, because you have your sort of, you know, pure play, you know, a cloud-born kind of alternative provider being acquired by a by a telco, right? And so you can yeah. mix, m- marry those two worlds together, right? So. Yeah, and driving the transformation within the telco. Right. So it's a great story. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
All right, so Stan, when, when we were first setting up the, this podcast, you sent to me um, this report that you've been working on, uh, uh, and I, I'd like to now kind of jump into that, the, the specifics of it. So you've done some, again, work work that's uh, very near and dear to me, so survey work of, of the, the, the carriers out there in the world and, and, and how they're coming along with some of these uh, automation and, and, um, and, and standards. Could you tell us a bit about that report and what's in it? Yeah, yeah. So the report is, uh, it's called State of the Industry Paradigm Shift, uh, Automating Business Functions Between Service Providers. So this report's available uh, for free at uh, mef.net slash report. And you can download a, the report and a companion deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so basically this is, this report is based on research that we've done over the last couple of years in which we've ga- engaged with a, a huge number of uh, service providers uh, and, and others around the world looking at this whole topic of automating uh, business functions uh, with the use of the API. So we put we put that work within the context of the overall industry transformation that we've kind of talked through here. But what we're seeing right now, I mean, at the time of the report, we had more than 122 companies uh, 122 uh, service providers that were in some stage of the adoption yep. lifecycle mm-hmm. from interest through to implementation of the APIs. And now that, that number's actually climbed, uh, climbed quite a bit because that, that report came out at the time of ITW. And of course, we've had a lot of discussions since then. Right. So now we have more than 135 service providers around the world in some stage of the adoption lifecycle. And that's, that's I should say, that's a pretty big chunk of the sort of multinational, multi-regional yeah. kind of WAN services providers. I mean, a really yeah, big chunk. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the key point here is that we, we quite a, quite a while ago uh, had already reached critical mass. So, yeah. you know, the, the train has left the station, people are jumping on board and, and, and we're rolling down the track uh, quite nicely. So we have at least uh, 63 companies uh, already committed, uh, planning, developing, testing, or in production stages with the APIs. And we're, we're essentially on track to have somewhere close to uh, 69, 70 uh, by the end of 2024 mm-hmm. that will have implemented the APIs. And then uh, we'll surge ahead to somewhere close to 100 by the end of 2025. And, you know, one of the things that's not in the report, but uh, I've been looking at very closely are the the uh, number of uh, companies and individuals that we have uh, engaged with on the LSO topic from a MEF point of view. Hmm. They're up 93 percent since. Uh, well, the companies, the number of companies we've engaged with, the service riders is up 93 percent wow. since June of 2022. Right. And the number of individuals that have engaged with MEF, downloaded our reports, uh, participated in, in webinars or, or, or other activity that we have, that's grown more than 100%. Nice. Um, so, so we, and just, just this week, for example, we, we had a discussions at a senior level with a large service provider, and we probably had you know, 25 people engaged in the room or, or calling in. Right. And in in one case, I, I think I don't know. We we had probably two hundred uh, individuals from a service provider, a huge service provider, 
um, who are engaging with us on the LSO topic. That's just from one company. Yeah, that's, so we're, and that's we're key seeing, too, right? Because you you have yeah. some of these are very large organizations and and uh, don't have you know sort of. Um, perfect communication across all these different uh, uh, divisions of that organization where, where this could be impactful. And so it's a big effort to, to get all of the right yeah. people from a large organization uh, talking about this together. Yeah. And, you know, if you go back a few years, uh, you know, the, the database we had, you know, was, uh, was relatively small for, for all those individuals that we would uh, need to engage with. But we've, we've, we've seen just a huge uptick uh, in the number of people that who've engaged with us. And of course, you know, it's been helpful that we've had um, strong advocates within both the service provider community, uh, players like AT&T, Cole, mm-hmm. and, and others, uh, as well as the LSO solution providers. We've got a, a fantastic um, set of LSO solution providers that are helping the service providers implement the APIs. And, and those, those players are listed in the report. Um, but, you know, think about the benefits that, that we're bringing to the table. Um, they're, they're outlined in the report, but just kind of run through some of them. You know, the, the, the primary reason why service providers are implementing the APIs right now, the business process APIs, is to accelerate service delivery. Mm-hmm. And we're getting reports of an average of 25% reduction in order cycle times. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you can accelerate your, your, your service delivery, that, that improves that customer experience you're uh, guaranteed to accelerate time to revenue on every single LSO and API uh, enabled order, right? Um, and, um, you know, that improved customer experience can help increase loyalty. Right, right. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a fantastic, fantastic story and really excited about what we're seeing. Yeah, but 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 you know to to put a pin in that point. So certainly it's what the enterprises are looking for. The, you know that that that's what they want to cut those provisioning times down. They want to cut some friction out uh, out of the the transaction and uh, and process itself. But that also it's it's more efficient for the carrier internally, right? So right, yeah, absolutely. So so you know most of the people that engage with us, let's, let's say you're on, you're on, you're dealing with the buy side of a, a of a service provider. You know, they're they're working with their uh, seller partner to implement the APIs. But the other side of the house uh, within that buyer, you, you know, is the team that's facing the enterprise customer. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, one buyer uh, told us, you know, the pre-validation of the orders is saving, quote, a huge amount of time um, and human resources by reducing or eliminating the order rejects and reworks. And that's all being done without dis- disturbing the end customer. Right. So, and then on the sell side, you know, we've heard similar comments about absolutely faster uh, service delivery. You know, they're increasing the operational efficiency, reducing the human errors, and just really uh, saving time in the pre-sales department. And, and, and to give you just a little bit more color on what it means for a seller, uh, I had a conversation with the service provider, um, an international seller, um, who uh, is trying to... Um, work with their buyer partner, they want to see their buyer partner um, implement the APIs. They said, look, we have a, we have a resource totally dedicated to this, this uh, tier one buyer. We'd love to see them implement so we could free up that resource. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it's just an individual doing one single job responding to quotes, right, right. requests for quotes. Right. And, you know, often those quotes, you know, it might be a hundred to one or even more ratio. Yeah before that turns into an order. Absolutely. So, so you're talking about someone who's completely dedicated and they said, you know, look, if we do this automation, you know, 
we don't need them focused on that that role right. right they can they can do something else with that person sell you know do higher uh higher value of uh, Sales, yeah, right? and probably something that that individual in that role might uh, uh, find more fulfilling and interesting too, right? You know, well, and, like, and, and uh, think about your commission. Isn't your commission going to be better? Yeah, right. Yeah. If you if you have more success than uh, you know, you're dealing with a hundred to one ratio on quotes to orders. Yeah. If you, you can sell security, you can sell you know managed services, you can sell network as a service type solution or whatever, right? Yeah, and you know, there's a broader point about the economy here too. There's there's some gloom and doom about uh, just just AI and automation and and, and uh, machine to machine and things like that in general. And and I, I very much see it as there, there's already a labor and skills gap out there in a bunch of industries, right? And so it's it's it it very often doesn't spell the the you know the death of the role. It spells the the um, you know expansion of the role into into being able to take rote activities out of human hands, which sounds really good in a well, lot of cases, right? And I think, and 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 just to you know kind of deal with that point, right? If you're if you're on the if you're thinking about well, what does this mean ultimately for my job? Well, mm-hmm. well one thing is first of all, you need to be aware of this trend. Right. It's happening. Right. Yeah. If you're sitting there and you're and you're engaged in manual processes and you're just kind of clicking along thinking, hey, you know, we're just going to keep going as business as usual. Well, you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. You're going to you're going to have you're going to have surprises because I'll, I'll give you just to kind of drive that point home. Um, you know, when we look at the forecast for the number of countries where we're going to see LSO enabled uh, service riders, sellers, right? Um, we're, we're now on track for about 50 con, uh, countries around the world right. who will have at least one service provider who's LSO enabled. That means if, if you are not automated in your sell uh, process, working with your big buyers, um, then you're going to face that competition yeah. from, from somebody in your country, right? And, and, and you know, in, in a lot of countries, you're going to have at least two. I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? right. If you're a buyer, you, you want to have at least two uh, choices in, in, in country. And so, you know, my message to the wholesale sales team is be very careful, pay attention to what's going on in your region, because you want to be in a position to be able to to sell in an automated way. You don't want to be surprised, right? You don't want to be surprised and start losing business because you're not automated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That That is that is the key there that... Um, you know, so there's there's not just that this you know makes you attractive, that it makes you it makes your internal processes smoother. It's that it's it's do it or or lose business to those who who have yeah have yeah. done it. You well, know, so, yeah. yeah, and and I, I just give you um, you know there was one company I was chatting with in the APAC region, and uh, and I asked him, well, where where are you on this journey? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, we're we're not quite there yet. We're we're they're kind of still going through some restructuring of what they're doing internally. And, but they said, you know, we've been told that, that, uh, you know, we could have a premium for, you know, adopting these APIs because, you know, basically they emerge as a preferred provider. Right. Right. So there's on the one side, you, you could have the threat of losing revenue. And on the other side, well, you emerge as a preferred provider. Which one do you want to be? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. And and on both on 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 the two sided market a preferred provider right like a preferred partner for other telcos and and a preferred supplier for for the enterprises yeah yeah absolutely and 
you know, if you think about it, so so that's kind of from the seller perspective. They can emerge as a preferred provider. They can have less threat to their you know losing revenue with, mm-hmm. with a with a seller with a buyer who's in, uh, enabled. But on the buy side, the good thing now is a lot of these uh, seller partners are stepping forward, implementing the API. So if you haven't implemented the APIs on the buy side now, it's a really good time to look at it because you can you can start down that that road and you can leverage the investments that have already been made. Right. So you could, you know, and I'll give you a good example. Um, there was a company I chatted with at ITW who's looking to build out a, a network as a service offering. And they're trying to go and, and look at individual countries, uh, you know, in, in the regions where they want to offer a network as a service. And they're just kind of going down and, and sort of, you know, saying, hey, would I be able to have an LSO enabled partner here, or here, or here? Right. Well, you know, that, that map is going to take some time to fill out. But ultimately what you're going to have is, you're going to be able to go down that list and you're going to be able to say, okay, I can get it in these countries. Um, I need to go find out who else is going to be implementing here. But ultimately what you're going to do is you're going to have that nice foundation to work with. So step forward on the buy side, start, start to engage with your seller partners. If you haven't looked at the APIs uh, thus far, you, you definitely want to start doing that now because there's more, uh, there, there are more sellers out there and there are also more buyers stepping forward uh, having those discussions with their partners. So you want to, you want to hop in line too, because you want to be able to, you know, implement your APIs with your partner and kind of have them thinking about working with you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we've got der- various resources to, that can accelerate that. Right. Right. Like an LS, what we call the LSO uh, API onboarding and interop test service, where you can, you can leverage that uh, environment, that testing environment um, to implement the APIs with your partners. Yeah. And then, and then your sort of tech folks don't have to remake the wheel, right? It's already, it's already sitting there. They don't have yeah. to remake the wheel. Yeah. That's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of assistance out there and, and those solutions are highlighted in, in the report. Yeah. So Stan, we're, we're running low on time here, but one thing I, I do want to make sure that, that we hit before we wrap it up is just, you know, blockchain. I know that's something you guys are working on. It's, it's it is one of those things in the tech world where everyone always wants to to talk about it, it's exciting. There's a lot of potential, but it's hard sometimes to focus that in on. Okay, what is blockchain actually going to do for me as a, a provider? Say, so w- what's your take on that? Yeah, so um, you know, we go into uh, well, we've had quite a few discussions within MEF around blockchain, right? And we have initiatives, what we call the LSO blockchain. So, you know, first of all, um, let's be clear. You know, it's not you know. Ethereum. Right. Uh, you're, you're not going to make a MEF cryptocurrency. Right. right. It's not cryptocurrency. Yeah. What, we're, what we're focusing on is really um, making sure that we further reduce the, the friction in the billing and settlement process. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where the, the key focus of our work has been. And we've had players like, uh, you know, Sage Management uh, involved in, in, in that. And they're, again, they're profiled in the report. Uh but, you know, just to give you an idea, you know, we have the APIs, you know, the APIs that focus on or, you know, that deal with the function of of, of billing. Right. Mm-hmm. But what we're what we're doing on the LSO blockchain front is dealing with this whole issue of, of resolution. Right. So you up until now, you think about the overall billing process, you know, it's been highly efficient and error prone. Right. It can take, you know. 45 to 60 days per order. Um, and it's a point of contention between buyers and sellers, right? Right, right. right it can right. cost individual service providers millions of, 
millions of dollars per year. Um, just the, this, the whole dispute issue, right? So revenue recovery is a really time consuming process. And so service providers are heavily focused on what can they do to make sure that they're dealing with a common set of information that, uh, that cannot be reputed, right? right? So that's where blockchain comes in. Blockchain and smart contracts. Uh, those are the those are really key areas of work. And um, and my uh, team teammate um, Daniel Barlev, uh, our VP mm-hmm. for strategic initiatives, is heavily focused in on that topic and working with a, a quite a few companies uh, on 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 the blockchain issue. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have some, what we call showcase. Uh, uh, you know, work around that a uh, couple of projects uh, focusing on that. And you will be sharing more about that at GME. Yeah. And I think that that's a great plug as we wrap it up for, for the conference itself, because I think one of the great things about it is that through these showcases, through the the awards uh, and, and, and the, the, the proofs of concept and whatnot, you get to see, okay, so this is all really interesting. What does it really mean? Like when I, I have a demo that shows, okay, I'm going to spin up a circuit from Hong Kong to Frankfurt, and this is what it looks like and how long it would take. I, I, I always really uh, get a lot out of that personally. So yeah. definitely yeah. plug for that. So, so Stan, I want, I want to wrap us up with a, with a question I, I love to ask people kind of at the end of conversations like this, which is, which is, you know, everything we've been talking about, um, to, to me, almost like questions whether going forward there is kind of, uh, maybe this is a little philosophical, but a WAN. So a WAN used to be a thing that I bought from my carrier. It was, it was this, you know, this, this uh, MPLS, the, the whole idea behind it, it was, it was virtually private. It was, it was, it was a thing that I, I put out this RFI with all of these parameters. Are we moving more to a world where, you know, sort of, Connectivity is something that you you buy on an as needed basis. Sometimes even as short as hourly, and, and everything kind of else that that we not we we've traditionally thought of as the WAN maybe happens on the overlay, kind of over the top, and 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 um, we get to this world where where there isn't some kind of thing that I could put a pin on that is my WAN. Do you you see what I'm saying there? Well, well, I I think if you. Um... If you talk to our CTO Pascal, mm-hmm. you know he'll he'll talk about the internet access and the overlays yeah. and, and and all that more dynamic environment and and especially there's a lot of attention focused on the overlays and and edge compute right and and, and so forth. Um, I I think you know obviously we're in in a big transition period right mm-hmm. so so the way I think about it is in order to get to this sort of nirvana where you've got all these dynamic services you've got this on-demand environment, and you do have these services that don't stay uh, up very long, it, you know, it, you know that that is going to require a tremendous amount of transformation. Yeah, we're, you we're, can do it within yeah. data center environments, but when you start to talk about access networks and all that, there's a lot of investment. Um, Just over-provisioning that has to be yeah. there, right? Yeah, so, so, so there'll be this transition. It'll take a lot of time. Um, you'll see you'll see quite a few innovations in, in companies that have the resources you know they can put they can put to that but the industry has has to move along as a whole and, and so that's that's really what we're focusing on mm-hmm. is how do we bring the ecosystem how, how do we how do we take companies regardless of where they are in this journey how do we move them from maybe manual processes or limited number of automation processes to a much more automated um, uh, mm-hmm. type of situation, you know, just like, 
you know, everybody, you know, as you kind of go through life, you, you look at how can you be more efficient with what you do, you know, at home or wherever, right? Right. And right. whatever projects you're working on, you're, you're trying to be more efficient with it. And that's what we want to do as an industry. How can we shift shift it in, in that direction? And that begins, well, if you think about it, and this will be part of the discussions that we have at the GNE event as well. But if you think about it, it requires a strategic decision making shift, right? Right. I mean, right. It's, it's got to be driven at a strategic level, a high level. Mm-hmm. So you so you change your corporate strategy. You look at how you evolve your service portfolio. You you update your networks. You automate as many processes as you can internally, then externally. Uh, you look at how you can drive a greater efficiency in the billing and settlement process with things like, like, like with blockchain, right? So incre- increase your margins by by reducing friction, eliminating cost, and, and all that stuff. And and then how can you work with that broader ecosystem of partners to increase your value over time, right? And as a service provider, you also have to keep in mind it's not just that service provider evolution in in dealing with all your players, but you've also got the the cloud, you know, hyperscaler threat, you know, mm-hmm. um, yes. so that's always, that's called kind of always the cloud that's taking over the telecom community. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you really just want to make sure that you're more nimble, you're more agile and you're able to adapt uh, uh, to that environment, uh, you know, in, in a better way than maybe in the past. No, yeah, that, that was, that was a, a very lucid blueprint, I think of, of how to get from here to there. That was excellent. Thanks. All right, so so Stan, this was this was great fun. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to catch up at uh, at the GNE event uh, in in October here. In the meantime, uh, listeners that want to follow you or your work at MAF, you already mentioned the URL for for the specific report. But any any other places they can find you or or uh, MAF in general? Yeah, so um, you know we have uh, MAF on LinkedIn. Well, first of all, thank you, Greg, for the opportunity. Oh, it's always it's great fun. to chat with yeah. you. Um, we have MEF on LinkedIn. Um, you can download the report at mef.net slash report. You can always feel free to reach out to me directly at stan at mef.net. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, you know, engage in uh, discussion with all, all types of industry professionals. So awesome. uh, enterprises, uh, service providers, whoever you are, feel free to reach out. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's great to get perspectives from, from the whole ecosystem as it were as we've been talking about cool all right well yeah thanks so much dan uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk again soon and um i'll just say we're, we're recording this in july stan and i both like hiking if you, if you go for a hike this weekend uh stay in the shade <laughs> it's, it's, it's scorching out there <laughs> bring three extra water bottles yeah exactly <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it's down great. southern southern uh, virginia yeah, is, is, well, is just as hot as it is here in northern virginia yeah, so, yeah. yeah just uh, uh, you know the waterfalls are not uh, flowing like yes used to. yes exactly you could you could see them evaporating before your eyes <laughs> <laughs> excellent all right thanks so much stan cheers okay, take care bye thanks for listening Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.